Okay, what's the subject of our conference? Uh, let's try again. You can look at your cover if you like to. Ready? Christ and the church reveal and experience in 2 Corinthians. So Christ and the church revealed and experienced in this book, 2 Corinthians. Uh, so this was a, a letter written to a group of believers who uh, Paul had written to previously. They were uh, befuddled, confused, defeated in the first letter he sent to them. So it was somewhat of a rebuke, uh, trying to address uh, their problems and minister Christ to them. So uh, in this second letter, which uh, Paul and Timothy wrote, plus there were some others with them, so you need to pick up that this is a group of brothers who are caring for the church. They traveled there initially. They shared the Lord. These people turned. This is today's Greece. Uh, philosophical, cultural people. They turned to the Lord. And this group was desirous to bring them along. So this was Paul and that group. It was uh, to the Corinthians. It was his third journey. He traveled to minister Christ. And this is about 60 AD. So we're going back a few years. But it's still relevant today, and you'll see how that is. So in comparing the two epistles, uh, like our title uh, declares, the subject of this book is Christ and uh, the Spirit, uh, with our spirit, and the church. And that's the same topic of 1 Corinthians, except he emphasized the gifts there. He was dealing with the gifts, whereas in this epistle, he's emphasizing the ministry. So it's a deeper book, it's more experiential, more subjective, and there's uh, more Christ revealed. Okay, you should flip over to page 27. Everybody there? So as we covered earlier today, the subject of the book, each book in the New Testament has a subject. So what is the subject of this book? Anybody know the subject of this book? It's a new covenant ministry and its ministers. Let's all say that. The new covenant ministry and its ministers. How about the sisters? What is the subject of this book? And brothers, you went to a great college conference in Latham Springs, and you studied a book of 2 Corinthians, and your classmates asked you, well, what's the subject of that book, brothers? Very good. And so, just to define these words, ministry is uh, service. So when someone says, I have a ministry or a ministering, that means you're serving. Uh, you're serving Christ to people. So it's a very simple term. And then you have the 
um, concept of ministers, and those are simply the people doing the service. So very simple. A service of uh, dispensing Christ, serving Christ, that's a ministry, and then people who do it. Those are ministers. So a lot of concepts today about what a minister is, but we'll see, according to Paul's word, who was a very genuine minister, what a minister, who a minister really is. And then it uses the term new covenant ministry. Um, new covenant, a covenant is um, something, it's an agreement between two parties to do something for another party. In the, in the Bible, God speaks. So he has speaking. The Bible is God speaking. And uh, in addition to speaking, uh, further, he makes promises. He promises certain things. So God has spoken, which should be enough, but in addition to that, he makes promises. He promises certain things. And if that's not enough, he will uh, make that, those promises a covenant by having an oath. And so that's even a stronger agreement. It's stronger than a promise. It's an oath. With an oath, and that's called a covenant. You've heard the word covenant, right? Everybody knows what a covenant is. So actually, the Greek word for covenant and testament are the same. So I'll be using both terms tonight, but I don't want you to get lost. They have the same Greek word, and actually a covenant, uh, you could say on the cross, the Lord was making the covenant through his death, and then after he died, then this became a testament. So he's executing a will. Now, a testament is a will. Some of you are probably in your parents' will, I hope. And when they pass away, then what they have will be bequeathed to you. It's yours. So in this book, this has been bequeathed. This is not just God speaking or God's promise or a covenant. He has consummated the covenant with his blood. So this is like a will, which means everything in this is ours. Guaranteed, delivered, done. So we can come to the word, not doubting one thing, not questioning, uh, is this factual? Is this true? Yes. Now, some of these things have been accomplished, and some will be accomplished. So we're in the process of receiving all the bequests in the will. So you got it? So now, it's, the subject is the New Covenant ministry, so you know what that is, right? New Covenant versus the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was the Old Testament, which was a, in this section of the word, it's the ministry of death. Wow. And the ministry of condemnation. That's the Old Covenant, and sorry to say, a lot of uh, what you hear among the Christians is actually just that kind of ministry. I was out on a campus in El Paso, and the guy was standing up on the chair, yelling at people, condemning people, and people would come by us and said, is your group associated with that guy? I said, well, he's probably a brother, but we're different groups. Uh, so kind of a ministry of condemning, ministry of death, that's the ministry of the law. That's the old covenant. Aren't you glad that one's old and over? Yeah. Woo! That was uh, that that will put you under. 
And there is a better covenant, a higher covenant, a new covenant with better promises, better blood. It's all better, better, better. And that's the one we got. So it's new. And he's the one that makes it new because Christ is ever new. And that's the subject of this book. What is this new covenant ministry? And who are the ministers? That's what Paul wants to impart to these Corinthians to move them further along in their Christian life. All right? Okay, so I'm so glad we're on this topic because as I look through this room, I see a lot of students who are on campuses. And you know what the need of the Lord's move today? The Lord is moving. You should realize that. You are in God's move. Even though this is 2,000 years old, and God was moving there. He's not finished. So all of you are in God's move on various campuses. <laughs> and you know what he needs to complete his move? This new covenant ministry will fulfill his desire and will build up the church and bring him back. But who's going to be the ministers? Get that hand up. Come on, get it up. Yes, you are a new covenant minister. You have the Lord's life. You have Christ inside of you. And we're going to get into this. What makes you a new covenant ministry, a New Testament minister? We're going to cover that tonight. Are you up for it? The Lord has put you as a believer on a campus. That is God's placement of you. You're not there just for an education. You're there because God needs you. He has a move, and you're the ones, like it or not, someone told me a couple days ago, we were talking to him, he says, well, brother, I just don't feel I'm qualified. I said, too bad. You got chosen. So whether you like it or not, whether you think you're good or not, don't worry about it. Because you're the ones. Who else is there? Who else is sitting in this conference tonight? Who else is going to get what, uh, what, what the Lord's speaking this weekend? So many riches of Christ. Look around your campus. Are they sitting here? No. Guess who is? You. So that means you're the ones. Praise the Lord. It's the highest calling. So... We're glad to get into this section of the Word because God has a need. Let's all say that. God has a need. Let's say God has a New Testament ministry. God has a New Testament ministry. Let's all say, I am a New Testament minister. I am a New Testament minister. Sisters. I Good. Brothers. I am a New Testament minister. Very good. And you have been sent to your campus, and there's people all around you. Some are already believers, but they need a lot of help. Some aren't believers, and they need Christ. Okay? So, I really enjoyed your message on the New Covenant ministry. Uh, did you enjoy that message? Did you get a lot of riches? What are the six uh, aspects of the New Covenant ministry that you covered in chapters um, 
2 and 3. You remember? Yeah, there's five metaphors, and they're actually divided into the New Testament ministry is triumphant. Triumph. It's triumph, right? It's triumphant. It's a winner. You're a loser. Some of us used to think that he leads me in triumph. That means I'm the winner. I'm always going to win. This touchdown is for Christ. We won the game. The Super Bowl's ours. Or the beauty queen. I got the pageant. I got... I'm the winner. God made me the triumph one, triumphant one. Wrong. Who is the triumphant one? Christ. And who's the defeated one? Praise the Lord. So it's triumphant. It wins. It always wins. Christ, like they shared, overcame death. Death had never, I really like that. Death had never been overcome. Death had a 100% record. Nobody had walked out of death. Yeah, you could say Lazarus was raised from the dead, but then he died. <laughs> Doesn't really count. But Jesus, he walked out of death and death lost. I really like that. So it's triumphant. What's the next thing about it? So are you defeated? Yeah, this ministry, New Testament ministry, is comprised of captives, right? Whose captive were you? Satan's. You thought you were the free person, the independent thinker, the self-made person. Actually, you were duped, and you were in Satan's hand. And he had you doing what he wants you to do, which is not God's will. But now he's taking you captive. What's the next thing about the New Testament covenant? Is it its effect? What is that? Fragrance. Fragrance. There is an aroma. There is an aroma. When you get around the saints, the brothers and sisters, when you get in an environment, you just... Uh, there's an incense, there's a, a sweet-smelling savor. That's Christ. So this ministry, it has an effect. It produces a fragrance. And some, it's unto life, and some, it's unto death. So when you go on your campus, you are not only in a train... How about uh, see some of the gray shirts here? How about all the ones from Lubbock stand up? Okay. These have all been defeated. They're in a train at Texas Tech. These are the ones that have been captivated by Christ. And they're being, they're incense bearers. And there's a fragrance. Oh. You smell the fragrance? Cal, you smell the fragrance? What's that fragrance? Christ. Okay, thank you. It's got an effect. And then what's the next thing about this ministry? It has a function. And what is its function? What is its function? Letters. So it produces letters. 
Christ is inscribing, not on tablet engraved, but with the spirit of the living God. He's writing, So Jung, just writing. And those who are writing, who writes on you? What full-timer writes on you? Pauline, where's Pauline? I don't see Pauline. I'll be Pauline. So as I'm ministering to you, this is a double-edged pen. So I'm ministering Christ to you, and it's writing on my heart, Christ, and actually it's writing you in my heart, and it's writing Christ and Pauline in your heart. So this ministry is writing letters of Christ. That means you get read. You know people are reading you? They're reading you. When you go home to your family this uh, spring break, I know some of you have difficult situations, persecution, uh, rough. Others have Christian families, different situations. Regardless who it is, they're reading you. And what are they going to read? doesn't mean you're going to talk about Christ all the time. I'm not talking about that. But you're living Christ, and your fragrance is Christ, and they'll read Jesus is written in there. Okay, what else about the ministry? Huh? No, it's Trump. It's triumph in effect. It's function and <coughs> huh? It's competency. Competency. Is that right? Spelling. Meryl, how do you spell it? Is that it? Competency. What is the competency? Who's competent? It's the E. Competency. It's God. Sufficient. But our competency is from God. So you don't have to worry about you being competent. It's not you. The competency of this ministry is not about little old you or little old me. What is the competency of this ministry? Louder. God. God. Okay, that's good. And then what's the next thing? It's uh, glory. It's glory. It's glory. Old Covenant was a fading glory, and this is in uh, everlasting glory. This is Christ, the face of Christ. And then finally, about this ministry is what? It's uh, superiority. Superiority. So it's superior to the Old Covenant, far superior. Okay, so in, in looking at these, uh, you had some metaphors. This was the metaphor of the um, procession. This is a metaphor of the fragrance. This is a metaphor of the letters. And then you covered the mirrors. And what else? The treasure. So we're going to hit on that a little bit tonight. Okay, <clears throat> so now let's look at this. Um, everybody still on page 27? 
Okay, let me read you a statement I like. You might want to write this down before we get into the details. The ministry is constituted with, comma, produced and formed by, comma, the experiences of the riches of Christ gained through sufferings, we're on that this morning, comma, consuming pressures, comma, and the killing work of the cross. I'll repeat it. The ministry is constituted with, comma, reduced and formed by, comma, the experiences of the riches of Christ gained through sufferings, comma, consuming pressures, comma, and the killing work of the cross. That's what, how ministry is formed. Okay, so on page 27, <clears throat> uh, this section of the word from 312 all the way through 716 is, let's read the second line of this title. Like we said, this is part two of Living Principles and Practices in 2 Corinthians. Uh, but tonight we're focusing on the ministers of the New Covenant. And that's 312 through 716. I'm not going to cover all that. Uh, I'll cover six of the seven points about the ministers. Uh, so let's look at the first, letter J is the first uh, aspect of a minister. Let's read it. <laughs> All right, sisters. Brothers. Okay, and then this is a few verses here. Second uh, um, Corinthians three. Therefore, since we have have such hope, this is based on the ministry. After laying this out, Paul says, since we've had, we have such hope, we use much boldness, and are not like Moses, who put a veil on his face. So Moses was on the mountain infused with God for 40 days. God was speaking. His face was bright. It was shining because he was in God's presence and God was infusing him with himself. Amen. And as he infused himself, come on, brighten up. He's red. He's shining. Moses is shining. And Moses is shining. Come on, Moses. I'm God speaking to you. Come on, Moses. I'm speaking to you 40 days. Okay, so he's just filled. He's so sunburned or just saturated <laughs> with God, just in God's presence, just receiving the, heaven, the heavenly radiation. Amen. And so he comes down, and he's going to speak to the people. He's going to communicate this glory, but he does this. He puts a veil over his face. Why did he put a veil over his face? Well, Paul tells us, we're not like Moses, we're not like that. Okay, we're New Covenant ministers, but we're not like that. 
who put a veil on his face so that the sons of Israel would not gaze at the end of that which was being done away with. That was temporary. It had an end. It was going to be fading, and he didn't want them to see that. So he put a veil over his face so they couldn't see the fading glory of the inferior covenant. All right? Then it says, verse 14, why don't you read that? You doing okay, Moses? All right. Read 14. Hardened, for until the present day, the same veil remains at the reading of the old covenant, it not being unveiled to them, that the veil is being done away in Christ. Okay, so now this is talking about their thoughts, children of Israel, were hardened. Okay, that's part of the old covenant arrangement. It hardened heart. Hold that, Moses. Or, or, or you're the sons of Israel. Their thoughts were hardened for until the present day, that's 60 AD, the same veil remains at the reading of the Old Covenant, it not being unveiled to them. So at the reading of the Old Covenant, they're reading the Old Covenant. It not being revealed to them that the veil is being done away with in Christ. They don't get it. A veil lies on their heart. Their hearts harden. And it is not being unveiled to them that the veil is done away in Christ. you follow? 15, indeed, until this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Reading Moses is reading the five first books of Pentateuch. So even at this point, the reading of Moses, a veil lies on their heart. So this is their heart is still veiled. So they're reading, reading, and they don't see Christ. Anybody here, Jewish background? Michael Zinn, where are you? Okay, Michael Zinn was at UT, and praise the Lord, he was formerly a Jew, so he used to read Moses and see nothing of Christ. But one day, the brothers got hold of him, and and that guy got on fire. The veil was taken away. Okay, so 16, let's all read that. Veil is taken away. Let's read it again. Whenever the heart turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Okay. So, uh, in becoming a new covenant minister, the very first requirement is that, I want you to underline this word, it's the first word uh, in this caption, is constituted. New covenant ministers have to be constituted. You can never be a minister of the new covenant unless you're constituted with the essence of it. And then you become a minister. Actually, you become the ministry. Actually, the ministry and the minister are actually one. The ministry is actually the new covenant ministers themselves, who they are, and what they're speaking. Amen. That's it. So we have to be constituted. It says, by and with the Lord as a life-giving and transforming spirit. You get the 
Word life giving from uh, 2 Corinthians 3.6, it says, <laughs> it's the Spirit that gives life. Read 3.6. You got 3.6? I'll read it to you. Who has made us as sufficient as ministers of a new covenant, ministers not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Ministers of what? The Spirit. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit does what? The Spirit does what? So new covenant ministers are ministering what? This life. You're ministering the Spirit. That's why this subject says, as a life-giving and transforming spirit. So ministers are, are constituted with the ministry of life. Got it? Okay. So uh, let me illustrate this way. <clears throat> yep. the, the word is God speaking. It's God breathing. All scriptures God breathe. God spoke, and that was his breath. Here, put your hand in front of your face like this. Say the word Tim. Oh, no, no, say the word Sam. 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 Now say the word Paul. Paul. Do you feel a difference? Sam. Paul. Paul. When you say Paul, you're breathing out. Paul, you're speaking, so your speaking is your breathing. So when God breathed out, and we know God is spirit, when he started speaking, Paul, his spirit was embodied in the word. So in this word, you have essence, his spirit. It's black and white. It looks like all the other books in the library. But it's different from every other book you'll ever read because it's living. It contains a living person. A spirit dwells in here. God's spirit is in here. So the essence of this black and white is spirit. It's likened to a match. Here's a match. And what is the essence of this match? Phosphorus. It's got wood right there. It's got phosphorus right here. What makes it light on fire? The phosphorus. So you can say that uh, the spirit is to the word, that's the essence, the Spirit's the essence, as the phosphorus is to the match. Got it? What's the essence of the match? What's the essence of the Word? What's the essence of the Word? Spirit. What is the essence of the Word? Spirit. Okay, so if you come to the Word and you strike it with your spirit, what's going to happen? So here is the Word with phosphorus, and here is your spirit right here. So if you come to the Word and you strike it, what's going to happen? Fire! Fire. He's going to cast fire to the earth. He's going to cast his spirit. <laughs> so brothers and sisters, when you get into the Word, you need to come to get constituted by and with the, the Lord as a life-giving spirit, you need to come and strike it, not with your mind, not with your emotions, oh, but use your spirit. And guess what's going to happen? 
you're going to get lit. You're going to get caught on fire. Why are you smiling? You've been lit. Have you ever been lit? I got lit this morning. I had a morning revival out in the prayer garden with me and God. And I took this word. I started praying reading this word. The sun was coming. The sun was already up a little bit. It was shining. It was just wonderful. And I had such a sweet time getting with the Lord. I just, as I was taking in his word, as I was using my spirit to contact the spirit in the word, I got filled up. You've had that experience, right? Those are the ministers. You have constitution. That's the Lord as the life-giving spirit giving you life, giving you another constitution that you didn't have as a human being without Christ. But now you can come to the Word. It says that the reading of Moses, a veil lies on their heart. But at our reading of the Word, exercising our spirit, a veil is taken away. And the Lord is the Spirit. Has the veil been taken away? Do you see, as you get in the Word and you exercise your spirit, that the Lord is the Spirit? And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom? Are you living under the old covenant law, trying to cross your T's and dot your I's and make sure you don't mess up? We always do mess up. Are you under the bondage? Oh, Lord Jesus, free us. Amen. The Spirit is a life-giving, freeing Spirit. The Lord, where the Lord is, there is freedom. And but we all, here's the contrast, but we all, come on back up here. This is us now, it's not Moses. We all, with unveiled face, beholding, beholding, and reflecting, we all with unveiled face, beholding, and reflecting, as a mirror. Here I am, beholding. It's a clean mirror, ready to behold me in the Word. He's reading, and he's reading the Word, and he's unveiled. His heart is turned, and so he's beholding me. And then as he beholds me, Chris, come on over here. So now he goes on campus, and you look in there, Chris. What do you see? You see me. You see, I'm the Lord. And he's been beholding, and now what is he doing? Hey, Chris. Amen. <laughs> you see me, Chris? Yes, I do. I'm the Lord. Amen. In his face. Wow. Look. Amen. <laughs> Beholding and reflecting as a mirror Amen. the glory of the Lord. And as this is going on, we are being, this process of being in the Word and beholding the Lord face to face, you're being transformed. And metabolically, you're being changed inside out. That's the new creation. And you're reflecting people see, hey, I'm coming after you next, buddy. Okay. Beholding and reflecting as a mirror, remember your mirrors, the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed. So a couple points here. Uh, I want you uh, to circle 
Uh, let's see. <laughs> Circle, uh, put a one by when Moses is read in verse 15. So that's step one. That's why we're challenging you to read the Bible. You can't be a new covenant ministry if you're not in the new covenant. This is face, and this is book. This is my Facebook. <laughs> I'm afraid when you're on that other Facebook, you're probably not beholding the glory of the Lord. So, your face in his book, Facebook, or FaceTime. When you're actually in the book, you need FaceTime. That means your face with his face. Come on. So, your face with his face. When you're in the Word... Face, in the face of Jesus. So when we get in the Word, we're looking for a person. That person's name is Jesus Christ, who is now the life-giving Spirit. And we particularly want to see the face. In the face of Jesus Christ. In the face of Christ. Particularly His eyes and His smile, right? Right? So when you come to the Word, what's your name? Levi. Levi. Who are you looking for? In the face of... Christ. Good. Okay, you got it. So number one is you got to get in the Word. That's verse 5. <laughs> number 2, I mean verse six, fifteen. Number 2, whenever the heart turns to the Lord. So you need to get yourself positioned in front of the Word, and then you need to exercise to turn your heart to the Lord. A turned-away heart, the veil is actually just a turned-away heart. Here, come up again, Levi. So, a veil is just a heart that's not turned toward me. That's the veil. So, whenever the veil, whenever the heart is looking at something else, it's looking at something else, so it's veiled toward me, it can't see me, it's turned away from me. It's looking at other things in the world. But whenever the heart turns to the Lord, so now turn your heart, the veil's taken away. And so we just go from this position, we come to the Word, and here's the Word. And so you just turn around here. Amen. And you're going to see. And so that's number two, put a two by the veil's taken away. And then put a three by, um, we with unveiled face, 18, beholding. Beholding. So you just start to behold the Lord in the Word. So step one is what? Get your face into the book, your Facebook. Turn your heart. Lord, I'm turning my heart to you right now to find you in this Word. And I want to look at you. And you'll see the Lord. You'll, you'll use your spirit to touch his spirit. Amen. And as you're, sorry, as you're looking at him, he is transmitting the heavenly, called heavenly radium, heavenly, uh, what? What's the good word? 
radiation, the heavenly transmission. As you're beholding him, he is just infusing, infusing himself, and you're loving him more, and you're getting more of constitution, okay? All right, good. Thanks, Levi. Okay, so that's the first requirement is constitution. Without spending time with the Lord, we can't be ministering him. We can't be the new covenant ministers. <laughs> okay, let's move on to two. Let's read number two. Okay, conduct him a racist. I don't think you got that. So the first thing about the New Testament ministers, remember tonight's is on the ministers. And the first point was what? Constituted. Number one. Not number two or number six. Number one. Constituted by the Lord as the life-giving, transforming spirit. You got it? Now, two was conducting themselves for the shining. So, when you have this, the Lord shining into you, then enlightening you, then it says, therefore, having this ministry, we, as we have been shown mercy, we do not lose heart. <coughs> and then why don't you read verse 2? Okay, because there's a shining, we've renounced the hidden things. You know, hidden things means you want to keep them concealed. You don't want light to shine into them. So they've renounced those. Even, and even if our gospel is veiled, so here are the New Testament ministers. It says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled in those who are perishing. So now come up again, Levi and Daniel. Okay, so even our gospels, so these ones are conducting themselves because they're constituted, something's going to come out of them, their constitution, and it says, for the shining of the gospel of Christ. So he's on campus, what campus are you on? Okay, is that Oklahoma? <laughs> yeah, it's Okay, okay, campus in Oklahoma. So now he's on the, on the campus in Oklahoma, and here's Daniel, and it says here, even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled in those who are perishing. So you're going to be speaking to people, and come here, Chris. Some of them are going to be veiled, and some of them are not going to be veiled. It says here that um, it's veiled in those who are perishing. So among you, you're speaking, there's a lot of people like this. They're veiled. Then there's ones like this who are open to receive the shining. Okay, thank you. Let's work on this one. In whom (laughs) the God of this age has blinded. Why don't you come here, Nehemiah? So you're going to be the blinder. So it says in these people right here, the God of this age, this is Satan. (laughs) 
And he has blinded says he's blinded, veiled in those who are perishing, whom the God of this age has blinded the minds, the thoughts of the unbelievers, that the illumination of the gospel of the glory of God, who is the image of God, might not shine on them. So here's the shining. And we go on the campus. And we're like this light, shining, right? See? Let's see how you do this. Shining. You're speaking to people. You're speaking to people. Shining. Okay. So on him, it says, hold it. It says that uh, the illumination of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, might not shine on them. So his work is a blinding work, veiling. He has convinced him of other things. He's an unbeliever. He doesn't believe. He has other things going on. And so he's been blinded, in whom the God of this age is blinded. Then it says, um, well, let's talk about that for a minute. Okay, you got the picture? So here are the unbelievers, they're blinded. What has Satan been blinding people with? What are some of the blinding things he does where the illumination of the gospel, the glory of gospel, can't shine in them? Why, does why doesn't it penetrate? What, is this, what, is he, what does he use for a veil? Huh? Distractions like what? What are on the college campuses? You ever talk to people? Do everybody you talk to believe? Huh? What was it? Greed and lust. Greed and lust, sure. Huh? Education. All that matters, education. That's all that matters. Life is about education, so I can make more money and have a better life. That's the blinding. That means I don't have any space for Christ. I don't care about Christ. <coughs> Other things. On your campus. You ever talk to unbelievers and they say, too busy. Not interested. Unbelief. Sports, food, a lot of things. Okay. So, if, let me ask you this. Come here, Daniel. So, if you think that this unbeliever is Mr. Cool, and you're following him around, and he's blind, it blinded the thoughts. Why are you following a blind, why are you believing a blind person? Why would you trust walking with somebody or going along with somebody that's totally blind? That doesn't make sense, does it? But that's part of the blinding is to dupe you. So we would follow people who are totally blind, but we would just go along with them thinking that they're they're the big man on campus, something like that. So be careful around the unbelievers because they have a certain pathway they're taking and it's not in the light. It's not full of sight. So if you end up walking, if you end up wanting the things they're wanting, doing the things they're doing to get the things they want, then you're actually walking in darkness. Okay. <clears throat>
Okay, so then it, let's go ahead and read uh, 5 and 6. So we don't preach ourselves. We're not here speaking about ourselves. We're speaking about Jesus Christ and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake because the God who said, this Old Testament, out of darkness light shall shine. He's the one that has shined in our hearts. He's shined in our hearts for the illumination of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face. That's why when you get into your Facebook, you want your face with his face. Amen. This glory, this illumination of the knowledge of the glory of God is somewhere localized. It's local. It's in the face Amen. of Christ Jesus, Amen. Jesus Christ. So he's the one that shined in our hearts. So we're not preaching ourselves. See, you could say uh, the diagram Paul put on the board last night about all that Christ did, that's subjective. That's, that's something that happened, it's real. But now it's becoming, it's in us. Now it's becoming subjective. This is experiential. <laughs> the God, <coughs> sorry, the God who said, out of darkness light shall shine, that was objective. He said, let there be light. And these objective light bearers were there. But this is a shining into our heart. Amen. So this is now experiential the God who said, out of darkness light shall shine, he's the one who shined into our hearts. Amen. You see the transmission there? And so then, because of this shining, in part number three, living a crucified life for the manifestation of the resurrection life. Let's all read that. Three. Good. So it's kind of a long title. Uh, they're conducting themselves a certain way. They have a conduct, which is shining. Their constitution is the spirit. And their conduct, conducting themselves, is shining. They're shining. And now we come to three is their living. And they're living a crucified life. <clears throat> but it's for, it's, it's by the power of the treasure in earthen vessels. So living a crucified life for the manifestation of the resurrection life by the power of the treasure and earthen vessels. So living a crucified life, there's a power to it. There's an ability to do that. And that's only Christ's life. So you have in verse 7, but we have this treasure. This is all actually continuous reading, although it's uh, set apart by captions. We're just reading through chapters mainly 4 and 5. We have this treasure, so it's contrasting the unbelievers uh, that don't receive the shining. We receive the shining in verse 6, 
And this is the treasure. So you can underline treasure and connect that with the shining. That shining was Christ's entry into us. This treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power, that's life power, that's not our power, that's the power of the resurrected life, may be of God and not out of us. Let's all read verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not out of us. Yeah, okay, so earthen vessels, we have this treasure, so... Uh, he likes in us to, as, as you had in the, your reading, to earthen vessels. So here you have an earthen vessel. This is just clay. It's earthen vessel. Is it attractive? Look at it. It's, I got it out of my backyard, my wife. See, look at that. Not that pretty, is it? But inside of all of us, is a treasure. The treasure is not the earthen vessel. The treasure is in the earthen vessel. We're in, we're the, sorry, we're the vessel, and what is in us is a treasure. The value is not in this. The value is what's inside. So God has shined his life. He's put his spirit in us, and that is the treasure. That is the resurrected life. That is what makes you valuable. All men are just clay. So we can, you know, doll ourselves up or try to make ourselves look better. It's all just clay. It's all just uh, of the dirt. I think all the brothers are handsome and I think all the sisters are beautiful. They're just... Beautiful vessels. Beautiful. They all look like dirt. <laughs> Beautiful dirt. Fashioned by God. This clay. All the sisters. I've never seen one ugly sister or one ugly brother. They're in God's image. All of you sisters, you're so beautiful. All your brothers, you're so handsome. You're in God's image. You have his likeness. Can't go wrong. But still, without God's life, it's just still clay. The value is in the vessel. And this is where a lot of people go wrong. They think the value is in the, it is the vessel. But the treasure is not the vessel. It's the container. It's necessary to contain the treasure. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the, the excellency of the power, <coughs> and this is, <coughs> sorry, the resurrected life, the eternal life, that's what's valuable about you. Is God has put his resurrected life in you. That is a treasure, and it's in an earth, earthen vessel. So Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the excellency of the power, that's the life power, the power of the resurrected life, may be of God and not out of us. You got it? What are you? Sisters, what are you? Brothers, what are you? And where is your treasure? 
And what is your treasure? Yes. The treasure is in the vessel. So then he gets into this fellowship in verse 8. We're pressed on every side and not and unable to find a way out, but not utterly without a way out. We're persecuted, but not abandoned, cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the putting to death of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. <laughs> what are these verses talking about? Let's read a couple more. For we who are alive are always being delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Though then death operates in us, but life in you. Uh, yesterday, Paul gave us the diagram. I don't know if you can flip that back up there, Merrill. The diagram. Y'all remember this diagram? Not that one, the seed one, no, not Jose, not that one, but the one with the, the uh, the one with the plants. Yeah. So remember this one, Paul used it to show the need for baptism. So while he's digging that one, oh, there it is. Okay, so here's a little seed. I'm not going to tell you what. Uh, what kind of seed this is, you can see it right there. A little bitty seed. And it's got a seed coat on it. And Paul told us the seed coat is from the former life. It's from the maternal side. So that's one life, but it has another life in it. And Paul told me the other life is, is a little plant. It's a baby plant with a lunchbox. What? Oh, okay, it's a baby plant in a box, that's the seed coat, with his lunch. He's a PhD in botany, so you better believe it. <laughs> so what is it again? It's a baby plant. Inside this old, this old life is a baby, another plant, another life in a box, with a lunch. Okay. So the treasure is in the seed coat. But what has to happen for the treasure to come out? What must happen to this seed coat? It needs to be pressed on every side. It needs to be persecuted, cast down, bearing about in its body, the putting to death. And as this environment works on it, as the, the water starts to penetrate the seed coat and starts to <coughs> cause the inner life to grow, then it, the power of that life bursts through that seed coat and comes forth. There's the picture. I don't have the, 
the pointer. <clears throat> so this is what Paul's talking about here. They have a treasure in earthen vessel. That's the earthen vessel. That's the, that's the seed coat. And you can start to see it coming out there. So it says here, the persecuted... Have some of you experienced persecution? Parents, siblings on the campus. Uh, maybe you've uh, reached the gospel and you've been put to death. You're putting to death of Jesus. When you go preach the gospel, verse 10, bearing about in the body the putting to death of Jesus. So that's the working of the death of Jesus. It's working in your environment to... Strip away the seed coat so that the, the treasure can come forth. So he's talking about their experiences of being persecuted, cast down, having the death of Jesus operating in them. So the life of Jesus, let's all underline on verse 11. Uh, being delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death operates in us but life in you. So as we're undergoing these consuming, uh, these wearing out in this environment, then death is operating and life comes forth into the people. It can only give life, the seed can only give life if it's in this process. You got it? So then it goes on to say, yeah, you can take, yeah. <coughs> It says, uh, and having the same spirit of faith, let's all read 13. And having the same spirit of faith, Okay. We believe, therefore we also speak. It's interesting right here in this process of the environment working on it. He says, having the same spirit of faith. Quoting, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we do what? Speak. So on our campuses, we believe, we also believe, so therefore we also speak. So what this death operating in us, how does it produce life in others, is through our speaking. It says, uh, 12 says, death operates in us, but life in you. Okay, how is death going to operate in me? and cause life to operate, life in you. <coughs> so my environment's working on me, causing this treasure to be manifested, the treasure of the resurrected life, which it's transmitted into somebody else, through what? You're speaking. We believe, therefore we speak. So this is life in others through death operating in us, knowing that he raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. So you have the assurance that you're speaking, just as Jesus was raised, you can have assurance, we'll also be raised, and so that person you're speaking to, we can have complete confidence. It says, knowing this, we have boldness, we speak. Okay, then skipping down to verse 16, therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man, let's all read it, 16, therefore, <clears throat> Man is being renewed day by day. 
Okay, a key verse, a, a famous verse. Uh, we don't lose heart, though our outer man is decaying. So what is that talking about? That's the seed coat being consumed. What is our outer man? Uh, you could do it this way. Our outer man is, you know, the three circles. Our outer man is our material mortal body animated by our soul, our natural life. This is the outer man. So it says it's, it's uh, decaying. So that's your physical body. You know, your body's decaying. It's your, your body, your physical body is decaying. I'm a little bit further along in the process than you are. A few years. But I, I know what's happening. And it's also the animated soul. That's the natural soul. And that's, that's being... That's decaying, that's being worn out, it's being consumed. Yet our inner man is being renewed. Okay, so what's the inner man? Your inner man is your regenerated spirit right here. And what about your soul? The soul is the organ here. You have here with the body as the organ, with the life in person being the soul. So here's the life in person of this outer man, using the body to carry out its desires. That's why, <coughs> sorry, a lot of things don't work out so well in the human life. Uh, like the marriages, the, the exceedingly high divorce rate. So two people fall in love. Here's brother, or boy, and here's sister or girl, and they're both living in the outer man, so their body is their organ, and their animated soul is the life in person. So these two love each other, they just think, oh, I fell in love, this is going to be so wonderful. And then two years later, they want to kill each other. What happened? What was wrong? The old creation. It's the old man. It's not so easy. Okay? So that's the danger of living in that realm, whereas the inner, the inner man is a person who is regenerated in their spirit, and the soul is the organ. It's, it's uplifted. Their soul is uplifted, <laughs> renewed. You underline the word renewed. So there's a fresh supply, a fresh nourishment of resurrection life <coughs> being uh, transmitted into their inner man. So we, we're living... Uh, inner man is just a, a constant filling and refreshing nourishment from the spirit in our inner man. So 
That is what's being renewed day by day. So you see the contrast? Outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. And then it says 17, flip the page for our, let's read 17 and 18. Go ahead, 17 and 18. Okay, so for, it says our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. For a momentary lightness of affliction works out for us more and more surpassingly an eternal weight of glory because we don't regard the things which are seen. So what are some of the things which are seen? We don't regard the things which are seen but the things which are not seen. What are some of the things not seen? Yeah, you, you don't see Christ physically. You don't see the life-giving Spirit physically. You don't see the church physically. Other things? Well, these are things that are not seen. And the, the life you impart to a new one, a young one, that one becomes part of the new creation. You don't see that life in them physically. Okay, so what are some of the things seen? This is unseen realm. What's the seen realm? Obviously, everything you look around. Everything you see with your physical eye. Those we don't regard for our momentary lightness of affliction works out for us more and more. How is this operating working? How is the momentary lightness of affliction working out an exceedingly weight, uh, surpassingly an exceedingly weight of glory because we don't regard the things seen. Our eyes are not fixed on all the things that you see. We don't regard those things. There's a material realm. And then there's a spiritual realm. So what are you regarding? The brothers said, we don't regard the things seen, but the things which are not seen, the things which are seen are temporary. They are temporary. Go ahead and See it. Go ahead and, let's see, what can I use? Give me something. Oh, your iPhone. Go ahead and just live in it and let it, let it be all your attention. It's seen and focus on it. But you know what? It's, eternal. it's temporary. Everything that you see, it's just passing. So if you are beholding that thing, if you're looking at that thing, then your being's going to be stuck to that, and you're going to miss out on the spiritual realm, the things unseen. Got it? Okay, let's move on here. So I want to save some time for you. <coughs> so in, verse, in uh, chapter 5, let's move on to chapter 5. 
a longing to be clothed upon with a transfigured body. So it's like that seed coat is uh, the seeds coming forth and the new sprouts coming out, but the seed coat's hanging on. And so these brothers, because they have this treasure in them, this treasure which is a resurrected life, they were longing to be clothed upon with the transfigured body. That means their body would be part of the new creation. So when a person dies, their body begins or continues to decay, and their spirit and their soul depart from their body. <coughs> and these brothers, they said in verse 2, well, verse 1, we know that if our earthly tabernacle, that's our physical body, our natural body, which is dying, is taken down, that means you pass away, we have a building, that's your resurrected, transfigured body, the spiritual one from God, a dwelling place not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We're also in this we groan, longing to be clothed upon. That's what they transfigured body with our dwelling place from heaven. If indeed being clothed, we will not be found naked. So they were expecting the Lord to return. They really thought the Lord was going to return in their lifetime and that they would be clothed upon. As soon as the Lord came back, they would get their transfigured body and they'd be clothed upon rather than being found naked which a dead person disembodied without a covering before God. For also we, verse 4, who are in this tabernacle, that's the physical body, being burdened, and that we do not desire to be unclothed, but clothed upon that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. That's our mortal body. So resurrection life is now working in you. This treasure, which is in the earthen vessel, and eventually, it's going to keep spreading until it swallows up. It's going to swallow, resurrection life is going to open up and it's going to swallow up. Amen. Life is going to swallow you up. Amen. Wow. Swallow up by life. Now, he who has been wrought for us, for this very thing, is God. Okay, therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are abroad from the Lord. That's the material realm, home in the body, and spiritual realm is from the Lord. <laughs> the Lord's in the spiritual realm. We walk by faith. That's the spiritual realm, not by appearance. That's the material realm. Okay, let's move on to five, or in. Let's read that making it their aim to please the Lord by living to Him. Okay, uh, can't do much here. I want to save some time for you all to share. So it's, they're making it their aim to please the Lord. So they were ministering. They were living the crucified life. They were longing to be clothed upon, thanking the Lord was coming. Uh, in the meantime, it says in verse None. Therefore, also, we are determined whether at home or abroad. That's coming off the former section there. To gain the honor of being well-pleasing to him. To gain the honor. Let's all read that. To gain the honor of being well-pleasing to him. So their aim was to be well-pleasing to him. We, 
All the people on your campuses are aiming at something to be well-pleasing to him. <coughs> then it says, uh, for we must all, let's all reach in. For we must go. Yeah, so they aimed to be well-pleasing to the Lord by living to him. This was their aim, to be well-pleasing. So let me ask this, who is it? And then he says in verse 10, for we must all be manifested. So who is it that we're trying to please? Just think about it for a minute in your life. Who is it that's at the top of your list that you want to please? What is your... what? What is your aim there? To please whom? Is it a friend? Is it uh, someone you're in a relationship with? Is it your parents? Is it your professor? Who are we try? What was our aim? What what are we trying? Who who is it that we want to think well of us and we want to please them? It's the Lord. Let's all say that. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. <laughs> okay. Well, we all must be manifested at the judgment seat of who? Christ. Christ. So your friend's not going to be there. Your parent's not going to be there. Your person's not going to be there. Who's it going to be? Christ. Christ. So that's why they're aiming to please him because they realize they're going to be talking to him. And 11, knowing the fear of the Lord... Then they uh, persuade men, etc. Okay, uh, then let's jump down to verse 14. For the love, let's all read that. Yeah, so we've concluded this that one died for all, and because of that dying love, that love constrains us. That means it limits us. It, it's like being walled in or pressed in with one object, one desire. The love of Christ constrains us because we've concluded this, that Christ died for all, therefore all died. And let's read 15 together. Yeah, so they no longer live to themselves, but to him who died for them and has been raised. Okay, then the uh, last one we're going to cover is O.6, is their commission. Let's all read that one. Okay, so the last, uh, the, the sixth point is their commission. <coughs> Sorry, so these... New Testament ministers, they have a commission. And that commission is with the ministry of reconciliation for the Lord's new creation. So you have in verse uh, 16, we know, so we from now on know no one according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him so no longer. So then if anyone is, let's all read 17. Okay. 
Very good. So he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. The old things have no divine life in them. They are gone. They're passed away. The new creation has a divine life. It's got God in it. That's the treasure in the earthen vessel. That's got God's life in it. That's new. And the old things, without the divine life, have passed away. Behold, they have become new. Okay, then read 18. <coughs> Very good. So he's given us the ministers, minister of reconciliation. That's reconciling God, people to the Lord. And it's got two steps in it. I'll just make this real brief. In 19, it's reconciling the world to himself. That is reconciling sinners to God from sin. So he reconciled the world in his death on the cross. He died for our sins objectively. So he reconciled the whole world to himself. He brought peace the man, and he made the enemies uh, his friends, his uh, uh, loved ones. And then you have in 20, it says, on behalf of Christ and we are ambassadors as God entreats you through us. We beseech you on behalf of Christ. Now this is to the believers, the Corinthian believers. Be reconciled to God. So this is a further reconciliation. This is believers to God from their flesh. The believers in their natural life, already believers, Corinthians, and now they're being reconciled to God from their flesh. So this is, he just didn't die for his sins, he died for us, the persons. So this is the subjective side that we could live to him. So the first reconciliation is for what? Sins. Laid all the sins on him. And the further reconciliation is what? Believers, he died for us so he could be our person. He didn't just die for our sins, that's objective. He died for you and you died in him. So now he can be your person and you can live to him. Okay, uh, then they'll cover P. I think the brothers will get into working together with God by an all fitting life. Okay, so let's review the six points real quick on ministers. First, they're. <laughs> Constituted. Then they're conducting themselves for shining. Then they're living a crucified life by the power of the treasure. All right. Then they're longing to be clothed upon. And in the meantime, they're aiming to please the Lord by living to Him, the new creation. As in, in the next point, uh, the, the commission with the ministry of reconciliation for the Lord's new creation. Okay, ministers, it's your turn. You're constituted. You're shining, living a crucified life, longing to be clothed upon, to shed the old body, and then making it your aim to please the Lord, and then your commission to speak the ministry of reconciliation. Good, you have about 10 minutes, so we can have some people come up and just share maybe 30 seconds, and then we'll give you some instructions. Ministers of the New Covenant, we need some ministers to come forward and minister to us. You're new. You're being made new. The resurrection life is nourishing you.